Saturday to everyone, and welcome to the Saturday version of the Daily Walk. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and it's that day. It's the last day of September, which means it's the last day of the Old Testament. And in that last day, we are with Malachi. We're in Malachi 1 through 4, and here's what's going on with Malachi. The people... It's been years since they have returned from exile. And, you know, a lot of times when we get back into the swing of things, when we first get back, the, you know, the temple's been rebuilt and things are going well and people have high expectations. When we finally get there, there becomes an air of complacency, an air of... Uh, just lackadaisical-ness. And so when that happens, things get a little loose oftentimes. And so Malachi gets a word from the Lord. He is the last of the minor prophets and all the prophets to speak for the Lord for 400 years before the arrival of the Messiah and John the Baptist. And the Lord is upset because he returns them from exile because he loves them so much and things are went well. But in their complacency, their guard gets down, so to speak, and they get loose with their obedience. And so... In the very first chapter, it starts out with how they defile their, they bring defiled sacrifices to the altar, which in fact shows that they have no respect for the altar itself. Now, one of the things I try to teach young people, and I mean young, like elementary age kids is to have respect for the altar you know the platform if your church has a platform and the altar is pretty much off limits for children unless you're serving we really don't need to be up there and uh not there's just a lot of things like arts Right now, there's a lot of wires up there because we don't have them a way to hide them. The church instruments are up there. And there's just a lot that could happen. And if you're unattended, which today a lot of kids are unattended, then a lot of stuff could happen that could cause injury. And we, you know, we don't want that to happen. It's not like it's sacred or anything. We just don't want it to happen. But for the altar, there is a sacredness to the altar. You know, my first thing that I understand with Elijah when he's about to challenge all the false prophets there on the mountain was he builds an altar, you know, and he builds it with 12 stones from the 12 tribes, and he calls upon the Lord. And then, you know, that story is really great. I, I just, 
if you don't haven't read it and don't remember it, you can find that in the, in the Kings, and I can be more specific later. But they have gone. The people have gotten complacent with it, and it happens in our churches. And they have brought sacrifices in. Now, remember, if a sacrifice, you bring a sacrifice to the Lord back in the Old Testament days, you know, it was as a repentance symbol for your sins because there wasn't a Messiah yet, right? So that sacrifice had to be a unblemished lamb, unblemished dove, unblemished goat, unblemished bull, it could have no breaks in it. it. Had to be a firstborn. Had to be young. And so it had to be a perfect firstborn animal. Well, what's happening is they're bringing in less than perfect. So when I read this, I'm seeing they're bringing their leftovers. You know, and in Haggai, he's saying, come on, don't give God your leftovers. Give God of your firstborn fruits give god of your firsts all right we we have to give god the best of us and you know i know like that's a defiled sacrament they're bringing in blind stuff they're bringing stuff with broken bones they're bringing in stuff that's not of what god wants and that goes clear back to Cain and Abel of sacrifices that are worthy so the Lord says, look, man, you're bringing this stuff in and you're acting like it's good enough. And that's not what we agreed upon in the covenant. And it's like, we know better, but we do it anyway. And it's like, a lot of times, even like with our kids, we know better. We know that our kids shouldn't be doing that. And we allow that. So what am I getting at? That's the thing. Malachi goes on with the word from the Lord and says, it's your fault, the leader's fault. You know this isn't good, but yet you do it. So you're leading them astray. And then he puts this out there for all of us. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord and turn up your noses at my commands. And that's what we do a lot of times is we just think it's too difficult to follow all this stuff. So we just do whatever we can. And well, at least I'm doing something. Oh, Siri thought I was talking to her. And so we think at least I'm doing something. So I'm going to give a little here, I'm at least coming here, or I'm at least serving there. And, you know, in the meantime, we know that that's not what the Lord wants. And so Malachi is telling us, and these are the people that are back from exile that have been living in the land of Judah and Israel for all this time, and this is specifically in Jerusalem, and they've got it. The Lord has blessed them, but they're making a mockery of the blessing. And furthermore, what's happening is the Lord sees what's happening with the marriage. The marriages are getting looser. The marriages are getting unfaithful. The marriages are getting, uh, you know, and we see that today, you know. 
uh, unfaithful marriages and they still come to you know they still come in in the service and act like nothing's going on you know and, and you know i've been victim of that a couple times and not not in this marriage my wife today is a gift from the lord and that's a story in itself you can catch on my other podcast called the reckoning w-r-e-c-k apostrophe n-i-n-g but anyway these guys see had to put that plug in the lord is seeing what they're doing and when i talk about that you know in their day they're not supposed to marry anybody that isn't of the same faith that worships pagan gods because god knows they will draw them out of relationship with him and they're doing it willfully but beyond that which is really what God's talking about in mixed marriages. We've taken that way out of context. And and so really beyond that, there are people being unfaithful to their wives in there. And back in that day, it was well known that the men were the most unfaithful because the women were too busy, you know, taking care of the man. And, and now, you know, like in our house, my wife is our breadwinner. She is totally supportive of my ministry, and she works her tail off to support us because in all the, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I've only been paid for it for four years of the 20. And so she's been really helpful in that, and the Lord has supplied us in every moment of the way. But you know she is awesome but in those days the women were stronger than the men and i think in these days that's still the case but the men get the credit too often and you know i've always been an advocate for the the women because i see how hard the women work and so the lord is the advocate for the women here and he's telling these men you come in and act like you're all that in my thing, worship, and you want me to accept your worship. But he says, I can't because I witnessed the vows you made with your wife, but you're unfaithful to her. So remain faithful to your part, faithful to your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. And he's calling them out on it because he's like, no, if you got to be faithful to her and he says this i highlighted this didn't the lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit you are one and what does it that mean god's children from form one union so guard your heart remain loyal to your wife from your youth for the Lord says, I hate divorce. To divorce is to be overwhelmed with cruelty. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. And I just, I mean, that that right there is huge because it shows that God's intention is for man and wife and that's in caps to be together and not be dismayed. Now, 
You know, one of the things I tell people, because uh, I used to work in a super, oh, wow, corrupt field when it comes to relationships, is I would tell people, hey, you know, what you have to do when your spouse isn't around to help other, to ward off all the, all the promiscuity that's out there that's going to come your way because people will know that you're even married and they still will will come at you is you always have to mention your spouse so that people know your spouse is an important part of you and that they exist because a lot of people that get caught up in that stuff never mention their spouse and never talk about them when they're in mixed company. So when you're in mixed company, you always want to bring up your spouse and what they're doing and that they're a part of your life so that people see that they're important to you and that you won't let them out of your sight or mind and that you're that's your way of putting your guard up. And that's exactly what God says. Guard your heart. And that's one way to do it. So... In Malachi 3, the Lord talks about the coming judgment. And what he's doing is he's actually, there's a messianic prophecy in there. And he's talking about the judgment that's going to come through the Messiah. He says, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come into his temple. So this is twofold the messenger that's coming will be john the baptist and the lord you're seeking that's going to come into his temple will be the messiah but the other messenger that's included in this the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming that's the messiah it's also talking about malachi because he's delivering the message right there but this is really about john the baptist and and jesus the messiah now remember this is 400 years before this ever takes place, which is so cool. And then the Lord says, come on, you got to repent because you're cheating me. And this is the part that people never want to hear. They're like, how do I cheat you? You cheat me of my tithes and offerings. And here we go with the leftovers again says, bring all the tithes into the storeroom so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects. Your grapes will not fall from the vine. And then you will just have an abundance. So here's the thing. So many people... God wants, doesn't want your leftovers. So many people are in the habit of just, well, I got a little left, so I'll give it to the Lord. And they reach in their pocket and whatever change they got, they put in the offering plate. Or they look, you know, if you do online giving, they look and say, well, I can give this. Because they look at their bills and they say, oh, I don't know. And, 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 you know, in Haggai, Haggai was the same thing. Haggai, when we were in Haggai, was talking about the same thing. If we get our priorities right, when they're out of sync, we it seems like the the I take two steps forward and go three steps back. I plant all these crops, but yet I'm only getting half the yield, right? 
But the Lord says, if you get your priorities right, then when you plant all these crops, when you do all these things, I will give you an abundance and you won't have enough room for them all. And Malachi is seconding that. Don't cheat me. Quit giving me your leftovers. Quit making me second thought or last thought even. Quit making me the back mindset. The oh yeah thought process. Make me first in your life. What was the greatest commandment? I had I taught a Bible class yesterday in high school and, and they were really good about knowing the greatest commandment. Even though that wasn't the question, they could recant that for an answer a lot of times. Love the Lord your God and all with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest. Which was really cool to see them because I had high school students and it was really cool. But here's the thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the greatest commandment. That's first. Make him first in your life. If we trust him, we trust him, right? He doesn't want leftovers. It also says in this Old Testament book that we're to bring of our first fruits, not our leftovers. So our sacrifices have to be worthy. Our tithes and offerings have to be worthy. And we have to bring to him what is due to him. Oh, I almost gave away some New Testament stuff again. Okay. So we either trust in God. I trust in God. My Savior one. He's never failed. Sorry. I know I don't do well with that. But, man, we got to trust him. And it just says if we trust him, which have our priorities straight, our crops will be abundant. That means everything works out because he never fails. And I'm practicing what I'm saying right now. I do tithe. My wife and I tithe, have always tithed. And even when we are unassigned, we tithe either to the church we have been at or to a church we were go- that we are going to. There's a ministry we give to all the time so that our tithe goes somewhere because we are blessed to see how the Lord works in our life, and we love that. So we appreciate what, how the Lord works through everything we do if we make him first in our life because we trust in God. So here's I bookmarked this because it says the Lord's promise of mercy. This talks about that book of life. It's not really labeled that. It's says in his presence a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. On that day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. 
I want to be in that book because on that day, we're going to see the difference between righteous and wicked, and the wicked won't be in that book. It doesn't spell it out so clearly here, but it will when we get in the New Testament, and we want to be in that book because what we're going to find out is to not be in that book is not a good thing. And so chapter 4 closes out, Malachi closes out. This is the end of the Old Testament. This is how it ends for 400 years before that messenger comes. He closes out with this thing that says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. Ooh, there we go. I, I want to be on the righteous side of that. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. Yeah, I bookmarked this one too. Good stuff. So remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So what's that say? Well, that says John the Baptist is coming. Remember, John the Baptist, Elijah's already been. John the Baptist will be coming. They referred to him a lot of time as Elijah and another Elijah. And the ones that turn to the Messiah haven't made, because remember, we're going to find out that they have eternal life with God in the heavenly realms and the ones that keep refusing God will be stricken with a curse, which is what verse one says. A place that burns like a furnace and will be burned up like straw. I don't know about you, but that's enough for me to say, hey, I want to give the Lord everything I have and trust in him and know that he wants the best for me because I see through this Old Testament book, he's not a God of anger. He's not an ogre like a lot of people say, but he's this God that just keeps waiting and coming back for us, waiting and coming back for us, waiting and coming back for us because we're the ones that push him out. We're the ones that keep knocking him out of our lives. And I don't want to push him out of my life anymore. I know in my life I push him out way too long. But sometimes we have to learn the hard way, right? So my whole life of teaching, especially when I was a paramedic, I was a lead field instructor, was to try and help people learn stuff that I had to learn the hard way so they wouldn't have to. So I hope through this 
podcast, you can be led to love the Lord your God, return to him, or even come to him, and know that he is our only solution. So you don't have to learn it the hard way like I did. Have a great rest of your Saturday, and we'll see you on our Sabbath Sunday as we begin the New Testament. Have a great day. Happy weekend. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior.